and turn to the book of Matthew this morning to Matthew chapter 9, where we will take for our consideration this morning verses 9 through 13. And so this week I'll be away at RYS convention. We will have Pulp Supply next week, the following week after uh, Seth and Madeline's wedding and pray that you would continue to be uh, in prayer for them and also for families in this time as we lead up to that bit as well. I'll be here in the morning preaching that day after and then we will have supply in the evening and then supply the next week. So we'll be taking a break from the book of Matthew but wanting to, to hear this call, this call upon him who will be a new apostle and yet one who really in many ways would be looked at as a, a questionable choice for Jesus and yet the best choice because it is his. So let's hear these words together. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 9, we pay special attention to the reading of God's word because it is his powerful, inerrant, infallible word. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray his blessing. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we come again before familiar words, Father, we are thankful that they are familiar, but we also pray then that we wouldn't rush to the end of knowing what we believe we already know about it. But open our hearts, Father, to receive it. Ready us, Father, to be convicted by it. Ready us, Lord, to go and act upon it. All the while being thankful that your Son, Jesus Christ, has come and called us to follow and so, Lord, may we do that, even to the very end we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. Does that very basic, very simple phrase absolutely thrill you this morning? Does it change you? Does it excite you? Are you thankful for it? And of course, we would say that we do. We believe it. We teach it. We sing it in any number of songs. We didn't sing it this morning, and maybe we should, but those words, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true, no, I was found, was found of thee. So our singing shares with us his word. And that word continually shares with us plainly the work and way of the Savior. It is a way that we are called to follow. The way that we're to walk in the new life that he has granted to us in him. Again, it's a work that we're called to. Going out to serve the Lord and his gospel in all things. Learning in all of it the way of his kingdom and of his love. And most importantly then, sharing in that work and sharing that work. 
with those lost souls that need to be brought to saving faith. And so again, we say that that is our intention, that is our desire, but is it? And so that testimony is shared with us in the calling of Matthew, certainly in his response to that gospel, but also in the rebuke of the Pharisees as Jesus calls them to a better way. More as he shares that call to his people to share in making his work and his salvation known. For as we give testimony, it's been made plain and shown even to us. Known even to us the worst of sinners. As the Father has drawn near even to us in his Son, in his Word, and in his Spirit. And so we see this morning from our text is this. The Lord draws near to sinners to seek and save his chosen so that they would follow and learn from him. The Lord draws near to sinners to seek and save his chosen so they would follow and learn from him. And so we seek to follow and learn from our Savior. We seek to share in the work he examples for us as we consider three things. A call to follow in verse 9, a commitment to go in verses 10 and 11, and then in a correction to learn in verses 12 and 13. A call to follow, a commitment to go, and a correction to learn. But that call to follow then is first. And we must give testimony again and again in following after him to the powerful work of Christ on behalf of broken sinners. That's what his very name means. Jesus means Yahweh saves. He will save his people from their sins and unto lives lived for the praise of his glorious grace. And that is a way, brothers and sisters, a way and work of great cost. We can't think too little of that this morning. Jesus paid the price for all my sins with his precious blood. We recite it. Do we think about it? Do we consider the cost? In response to that wondrous payment and the exchange of righteousness that comes with it then, we're called to follow at great cost. That's referenced back, as your Bibles are still open, back in Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. This is the struggle that he has. He's calling people, well, let me do this first. Let me take care of that. Let me look back. We cannot look back. Consider the cost. His command calls us to leave everything that we would have all things in him. He's powerful to save, powerful to save to the uttermost as he showed in calming the sea. He's able to bring about salvation for the lost and the broken, shown in the healing of the demoniacs. He is able by his authority to work restoration and forgiveness even in the life of a paralytic so that the Father would be glorified. In all of these things leading to this point in the narrative, what is made clear is why Jesus came. This is why I've come. These are the people that I've drawn near to. It's what I must do. And so it's clear what the response should be to his works, namely a grateful following with unending thanksgiving. That should be the way. Which leads us to verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. The man's name, at least properly, is Levi who has as a second name 
one that is now used as a nickname of sorts, but in the best way. Because Matthew means gift of God, a reminder now of what will be given to him in relationship with the Christ. And yet Jesus sees him simply then as a man, a man he has come to seek and save. There's no other context There's no other description given here or in the other synoptics that speak this same story. But when we hear the rest of what the people saw Matthew to be, what he was known for being, well, then we start to question. For he sees Matthew sitting at a tax booth. He was a tax collector. And while we still really don't like those who collect our taxes, It's not like in that day. No, even given his location, Matthew was probably a sort of customs officer. He's dealing in trade. Anything that comes across the lake, he's going to know about, and he's going to tax. But either way, as such, men were usually despised by the traders and fishermen they taxed, by the people they abused, and, and having to pay more than was truly owed and by the Jews for being an active part of Roman oppression. That even as a group, their shared character was, at least in that way, referenced or that disposition stated by Jesus back in Matthew 5, verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. The worst in your eyes, they do that. And so provides needed context. That of all the people, like here's the ramp up, of all the people he could have called and saved, he chose Matthew. And he said to him, follow me. Amazing. And equal parts awesome and awful. Because we consider it in terms of the great joy of here is Jesus drawing near to you. But when the Lord draws near to us in his word, when we're brought before that holiness, when we're brought before his standard, what he's done, it's a dreadful thing. It's a fearful thing. Matthew would have seen Jesus in action throughout the community. He would have heard the great things that he'd done. And now he hears a call to follow. And still, in these words, Matthew focuses, even remembering his calling, on a singular thing. He focuses on the thing. Not, hey, Matthew, I know who you are. Hey, I know all of your brokenness. I know your record. I know your place. It's none of that. He focuses on a singular thing, the thing. Follow me. From here on out, this is the call. Follow me. And it needs to be our focus too. For it's an imperative. It's a call for this moment and forever. It's a call to discipleship, not only in terms of office, but also in terms of Matthew's life. Here's the fork in the road, Matthew. Here's the decision. 
Follow me, learn from me, serve me, love me, and only me in everything. Yes, it's a call to a tax collector. It is a call to a sinner to be Jesus' follower and disciple. And now is that call then. Consider the cost. Consider the cost of discipleship. Consider the cost of following me. For Matthew has a lot to leave. I mean, for some of us, we're looking and saying, all right, Jesus, let's go. I don't have anything anyway. Let... Matthew has a lot to leave. It's a call to follow, having counted the cost. I want you to think about that this morning in these words from Luke 14. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You've been called to follow. That's the nature of his call to follow. Have we considered it? Have we considered what the cost really is? That it's in everything. That it's an all or nothing. Have we heeded it? Have we thanked him for it? And in this case, it was good for Jesus to call a man good with numbers. And so Matthew had heard and considered the call and rose and followed him. And it's interesting in comparing the gospel accounts here because Luke's gospel focuses on what Matthew did. Luke 5, 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. But Matthew doesn't focus on that. Matthew focuses on the action itself and the future implications. That even I, a tax collector there at the tax booth was one whom Jesus drew near to and empowered to take up his cross and follow him. That is his gift to me. And Jesus' call comes to you today. The word of the gospel is proclaimed even to you, to a sinner. One who wouldn't be considered worthy of such a blessing in and of yourself, which is all of us. All of us has a record. All of us has a past. But he calls us to follow. He calls because he wants his own. Those he's chosen, those he loves. He calls simply of his good pleasure to have his own. And he's drawn near. He's drawn near in his word. He's drawn near by the power of his Holy Spirit to have his own, all of them. But that is what he will have. That's what he demands. I will have all of it. I will have all of you. And so that's his call to follow and to learn. And then Jesus shows forth the work he'd have us to do and the need for a commitment to go and that in the second place. For in Luke 5.29, we read this, And Levi made him, made Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Matthew has a party. Perhaps to celebrate his discipleship, more importantly, to celebrate Jesus. 
Here is the joy of the gospel. Here is the new life that I'm given to. In that way, he wants to share the opportunity. Not like that, but like that. Here's what's happened to me. Here's what's been given to me. And so in a ministry of hospitality, Matthew brings those he had relationship with into contact with Jesus, into contact with his person, into contact with his teaching. And I think that's a valuable application for us as God's people in thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. We don't think about it very often. Are we coming into contact with unbelievers, doing so as followers and lovers of Jesus, seeking to make him known to them? Having intentional interactions that they would know him. You see, that's how Jesus draws near to people today. And we need to be committed to the same as his followers. You see, ordinarily, lost sinners don't come into contact with the word unless they're coming into meaningful contact with God's people in relationship. Hear that again. Ordinarily, lost sinners don't come into contact with the word unless they're coming into meaningful contact with God's people in relationship. That change is not ordinarily worked unless they're brought among people who've been radically changed. And that's the context Jesus enters into during this party. Verse 10, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, look, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. That hospitality matters. That entrance into our hearts and into our lives matters. And yet the first part of the verse isn't shocking, at least not to us. But the second half, most certainly to the Jews, was. To those that Matthew is writing this gospel to, they would not be able to believe what they just read. Look at all those despised and rejected and Jesus, you, you went to them? You sat with them? You ate with them? They're the socially outcast. They're the spiritually outcast. And you sat with many. Many tax collectors and sinners. Many who sinned against the people. Many who blatantly transgressed the teachings of the law put forth by the Pharisees. You sat with those judged by your people, judged by the Pharisees. What are you doing? How dare you leave our huddle? How dare you leave our isolation? In being out and among the Gentiles, the Pharisees understood Jesus' move at best as a basic carelessness with a call to be ceremonially clean. Jesus, you're being careless, not smart. They were always concerned. 
about who they ate with, about what they ate, about how they ate, and so forth. They had a law and rule for everything. And they would have thought, Jesus, you should know better. You should know better than hang out with them. You should know better than to be seen by them and with them. No, the Pharisees stand waiting to condemn. You're hanging out with people who do not follow our narrow interpretation of the Torah, of the law. Verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, so of course we're not going to go to him and keep the law. We're going to go to his disciples to talk about him. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Yes, it sounds like, hey, just give us a little insight. No, it's not. Luke uses the term that they grumbled at his disciples. They are waiting to condemn. Jesus, by sharing a meal with them, receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus, by sharing a meal with them, was thought by the Pharisees to communicate that he didn't condemn them. That he didn't condemn these sinners. That he didn't condemn their actions. That he was approving of them. And that's where this should start to feel really modern in context. Because if we're honest, we often take the same stance. How can we be truly righteous, truly better, more like Jesus, and associate with those who aren't? How can they have a space in my life? What what are you asking us to do? I mean, this is what we do. We quickly turn to passages to justify our separation. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Or 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Separate from the world, separate from the world, kept from the world, isolated from the world. Brothers and sisters, are these warnings against associating or warnings about being influenced? It's a big difference. It's a huge difference. Or hear it this way, should following Christ as his disciples be that which influences others? Or that which should be kept from unbelievers who need to hear and see the gospel of our Lord. The Great Commission, brothers and sisters, doesn't call us to stay and be his disciples. To holy huddle, to isolate yourself that you may be his disciples. We are to go, to be committed goers. So why don't we? Why don't we? Because we fear man more than God. Because we fear what too many people self-righteously in the church will say about us when they see us with those not yet Christians. We fear man more than God. 
but I want to encourage you who are going to hear this. They said the same thing about your Savior too. All of the things they implicate you with or charge you as being guilty by association with, they said the same things to Jesus. Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Who is Jesus? What is the gospel? Why are both important? Are they important? He's the only way of salvation. His word is the only way of faith and salvation. So did you, brother or sister, did you save yourself? Did you figure out life on your own? Did you come to this magical conclusion one day when you were eating Lucky Charms in your kitchen and you said, Eureka, this is how I'm saved. No, no. Do we Gentile sinners, us, do we Gentile sinners acknowledge that we needed people to come to us in our brokenness too? That we needed people to come to us in the midst of our own sin and draw near to us in the wonder and the beauty and the grace of the gospel? Do we acknowledge that we needed people to come to us and proclaim the good news of Jesus? Do we remember that we needed saving? 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus came to save. He's drawn near to you in your sin to save you. Has he come to save others? Has he come to save others? And do you love them enough to go and speak to them and live Jesus with them and among them? Give yourself to the work and way of Jesus as his followers. Which means go. Go and make disciples. Go and live among those who are not disciples. His command comes to us. Are we committed to it in grateful thanks that he sought us and saved us and called us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins? Becoming for us life now and forever. Because if not, then we have a correction to learn in that in the last place. For when we hear the calloused reply of the Pharisees, I would venture that we clearly don't see ourselves in their camp. The Pharisees are the bad guys. We're the good guys. This is how it works. Of course, sinners need to hear the gospel. Of course, we need to call them to saving faith in Jesus. Of course, we need to have interactions with them that they would come to know him. But then we spend the majority of our time around Christian. And we go out of our way to isolate ourselves from the world. 
And we come together and we lament the sick things of the culture and brokenness writ large around us. We forget their need for Christ. We forget their need for Christ. We forget our need for Christ. Because we think we're healthy. Again, we're the good guys. We think we're healthy even when we're not fully given to being his followers, not fully given to submitting to his will and way. And so it would seem often that a lot of the ways that we speak and live is more Pharisee than follower. We're quick to condemn. We're quick to write off. But are, as we, are we as quick to compassion and hospitality and care and discussion and patience? Quick to prayer and pleading before God that he would cure, that he would bless, that he would call, that he would save. But when he heard it, verse 12, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Pharisees, you think you're so well, so why are you doing nothing to heal the sick? You do nothing but condemn, hoping that sinners will at some point come to acknowledge their brokenness and seek you out to follow your way. Brothers and sisters, is that our posture? Is that our expectation? They'll come. They'll come. I mean, we're right here on 120th. I mean, people go 85 miles an hour past here all the time. They see our church all the time. Of course they'll come. People see me open my garage door twice on the Lord's Day. Of course they'll come. We would say we don't believe that. But I ask, what are we communicating? Because we need to learn the same correction Jesus now calls for. Verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Pharisees, get out of here and reread the scriptures you claim to uphold. Have you even read this? Have you even thought about it fully? Even as Jesus shares the words of Hosea 6.6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God desires compassion and mercy and loyalty and constancy and love. Have we counted the cost? Have we considered the disease, our disease? Have we considered how we need to follow? So you are called. Love the God who has held nothing back from you and your salvation, not even the Son who stood there before those men in that moment. but more love others. Love others as God has loved you and has given everything for you. Because the Pharisees lacked compassion. Believing that the way they complied with the teaching of the law, that their righteousness was enough. And we can give ourselves to doctrine without a consideration of what our life actually is. And if that's the case, we need to hear another passage from Hosea, Hosea 8, 2, and 3. 
to me they cry, my God, we, Israel, know you. That's what they said. But God says, Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. We say we know him, but if that's the case, what are we doing? What are we giving ourselves to? What are we giving our time to, our energy to, our arguing to, our discontent to? Are we giving ourselves to externals, to the keeping up of traditions, to our own definitions of what is righteous, good, and true, but giving little thought to the gospel and its call itself? Have we really considered the words that we hear our gems speak every year with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come with him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. People of God, mercy can't be mere theory. It can't just be something that we talk about. It must be practice. It has to be practice. Jesus will go on to say in Matthew 12, 7, referring to the same verse again, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. You wouldn't condemn me. And yet, why was Jesus there? Sometimes we wonder, right? Trying to do the right thing and the good thing. Trying to follow after Christ in the way that he calls. And sometimes you wonder why. Is it worth it? Why why are we here? What are we doing? Why was Jesus there? For this very thing. For these kinds of varied interactions. He was there not to condemn the world. But that the world would be saved through him. He was willing to deal even with that. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the thing that I have come for. Where else should I be? Among whom else should I be? Grace is the way of the Savior. He came to call those who must be saved. Jesus came to help the sick, not to approve their sickness, not to encourage them to remain in their sickness. His presence doesn't do that. His words don't do that. No, his desire is to help the Pharisee and outcast understand reality. Jesus draws near to draw sinners to himself calling them to embrace the gospel by repentance and faith. He came to save his people from their sins. And so his command this morning is before us again to learn the way that he has laid before us. Because if we say we believe the gospel, 
if we say that we are living in the righteousness of Christ, not our own. If we say we're given to truth, that should be known in the way we love God and love one another, but also in the giving of our heart and compassion and prayer and service for all of the ailing and broken and sinful and lost to find salvation full and free in the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And congregation, it's not too late. It's not too late to heed that call. It's not too late to heed that correction. In fact, the world needs us, desperately needs us to be given to this correction. For the church exists what? For what? To be equipped to go to the lost, to proclaim the gospel, to lead them to Christ in our words and way, and to serve them with compassion and winsomeness. That's the point. That's why we do this. Because we've been called here so that we would be saved. So that others would come to hear the word of God and be saved. That we would follow and learn from him in grace. So go. Go as those called to be his followers and disciples with the correction he has provided you even this morning in his grace. Go. Go out with thankful hearts. Go out with changed hearts to those who need to hear and see the good news of Jesus Christ and be saved. And go thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, that you have worked that in me and for me. Thanks be to God for the gift of God, for his gift to us in Jesus. And so may we be all the more quick to believe it and to share it, to go and follow and learn. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and for the powerful call that it brings before before us. And Father, in the ways that we have acted more Pharisee than Father, where we pray, help our unbelief. Forgive our sin. Forgive the ways in which we have neglected and set aside what you call us to. Because we fear men more than we fear you. So Lord, may the gospel then, and the wonder of that grace and what you've done and what you've given in calling sinners to yourself, in drawing near that they would be saved. Father, may that overwhelm us properly. May it fuel our praise wholly. And may it lead us forward, Lord, to go and make disciples. To go, Lord, because that is the good news of salvation. To go because a day is coming where we will be gathered to you evermore near in the new heavens and new earth. So, Father, we pray, work in us and through us by your word. Bring conviction, bring challenge, but also bring the goodness of your mercy and grace to bear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.